Hey, this is Amanda and Shelby. Come and See is a podcast where we invite you to join in with us as we study the Word of God. Bi-weekly, we're going to upload an episode recapping what we studied in small group the week before. So this week we're talking about Galatians 2. I guess Shelby's going to get us started. In the last chapter, Paul was focusing on the fact that his ministry came directly from God. And so now he's going to say... Although it came directly from God, me and the apostles are still all in this together. We all have the same ideas. We're teaching the same gospel. So he's kind of exemplifying the unity that's found in the church and necessary for the success of their mission. Right. When you're getting into verses one and two, we're like 14 years later. Yeah. So it's like we've skipped a lot of time. (laughs) We did. (laughs) So he's saying that 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem and he takes Barnabas with him and Titus. He goes because of a revelation set before him. So essentially, that means that God told him that he needed to go. He's going to talk to the Jerusalem council about what he is teaching the Galatian people. Like, this is the gospel I'm preaching just to make sure that everybody is all in agreement. Right. And it's interesting because in verse two, it says to make sure I had not run in vain. And I think initially when you read that, you think that it it's kind of confusing because it's like, wait a second, last chapter you were basically telling us that you knew this was directly by God, and now you're saying to make sure that you hadn't run in vain. What does that mean? Right. And I think that the way that we're supposed to interpret that is that he's not saying that he was unsure of what he was preaching would be correct, but he is hoping that all of his efforts haven't been for nothing because if the apostles were not in agreement with him, it would mean that there was another gospel being preached that was being accepted by the apostles and that would not be good because that would mean that the Gentiles, all the work that he's put into them and all the fruit that he thought he was bearing would be for nothing because they would all be dispersed again and the division would be back. Right. If you want to read about everything that went down at the Jerusalem Council, you can read that in Acts 15. Basically, it's the entire chapter. Everybody's together. They're all kind of going back and forth and having this debate because the Judaizers are there too, and some of the Pharisees are there, and they're all kind of going at it. And then Peter stands up and basically tells kind of his story. So, you know, last chapter, Paul told his testimony, and that's really powerful. So now Peter tells like, hey, this is what happened with me with the Gentiles. And he kind of tells the story that happened in Acts 10. So we're jumping around a lot of where God basically told him that nothing that he made is common and unclean and that he should preach to the Gentiles. And when he does, he tells us that the Holy Spirit fell on all of them too. um, And they received the Holy Spirit the exact same way that the Jews did. It was no different. Yeah, not through some (laughs) laws that they followed. Right. And Paul makes a good point later about no one can do it through the law. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need we need something else because it's impossible this way. Right. The big deal about this is the Gentiles were not part of the chosen people. So the Jews had always known that they were chosen by God and they kind of felt this superiority about it, which was never yeah. what God's intention was. It wasn't to say like these people are better than the others, but that's how it got misconstrued in a fallen world. Because of that, this message that Peter's preaching, that Paul's preaching, that God's trying to speak through the apostles is of unity. I like that he pulled the leaders aside privately just to show some respect. And I don't know, it seems like it's coming from a really loving place. Like these are the leaders at this place and to not publicly call them out. It seems like it's a 
that's a kind thing to do. Like, it's just in addition to making sure they're all on the same page. He wasn't, he didn't show up like, I'm Paul and I've got the truth. Listen to me. Yeah. And I don't care what you've been saying. Because if they were to write any wrongs, which luckily they were in agreement, but if they were to write any wrongs, it would have probably been a lot easier if they weren't just embarrassed in front of, I don't know, a better word, the congregation, but. Well, it's kind of like in church now, like all the elders might have like a men's meeting where Mm -hmm. they all kind of get together and talk about things in the church that don't necessarily need to be spoken from the pulpit in front of everyone, you know? Excuse me. You're having a good sermon, but let me interrupt. Yeah, I've actually got some problems that we need to discuss in front of the entire congregation. (laughs) Yeah, so I like that too. I actually didn't even pick up on that out of the hundred times that I read through this preparation. (laughs) (laughs) And it's cool because when you're reading in Acts 15 and you go to where Peter tells his story and you pick back up in verse 12, it's like mic drop moment because it's like the debate just ceases everyone who was like going back and forth is all of a sudden just completely silent at peter's words and if you read his words carefully like it really is beautiful that he's just kind of standing up for the gentiles and Mm -hmm. um it's a really cool thing oh peter so getting into verses three through ten It starts out with, um, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. So this is cool because it shows us that Paul's practicing what he's preaching. Yeah, well, Titus is one of Paul's best friends. I was reading something about just Titus because I honestly didn't know much about him. And Paul talks about Titus a lot in, I think it's 1 Corinthians, and he just talks about how much peace he brings him mm-hmm. and so that they since they are totally opposite I mean a prominent Jew and a Greek it just shows unity right there like right off the bat that this person completely different from me isn't yeah. circumcised and we run together yeah and Titus was someone who Paul would send to churches to yeah. help them like get over some of their division and bring unity. Yeah, so that shows you how much you really trust him too. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, we see that in this letter with all the urgency, how important this is. So to send someone on his behalf would obviously mean there's just a lot of trust there. Right. Since the Jerusalem leadership accepted Titus as well, they were in complete agreement with the gospel and not with becoming a Jew and following the law first, and then you can receive the Holy Spirit. So that's just another way that shows, or another little little part, just by them welcoming Titus, that it's not just Paul's friend, but all the Jerusalem leaders accept him. The leaders of Jerusalem are James, Jesus' brother, who I think we talked about was not a believer when Jesus was alive, but right. he was a believer after the fact, and then Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and John. And I didn't know who those were, so it kind of helped me once I figured that out. I could picture it better, so I like to picture things, so I can picture these people talking, talking, yeah. Side note, when we were studying John, (laughs) and it was to the point where they wanted to stone Jesus at the temple, Amanda could not get past, well, wait a second, how are they going to stone him? Like, do they just have rocks in the temple? Like, where'd they get these rocks? Like, did they go out and pick them up and bring them back in? I just picture a building (laughs) in the middle of the desert, and I just don't understand how it works. She kind of dumbfounded me in Bible study. I was just, like, looking, like, okay, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) This is irrelevant. (laughs) So, what this teaches us about Titus is that unity in Christ transcends ethnic, cultural, and social divisions. 
So unity can be between rich and poor, black and white, healthy, not healthy, young, old, whatever. There's no distinction in God's eyes, and we're commanded to have the same heart for everyone. And it just shows us the unifying power of the gospel. I think someone brought this up in small group. Jordan, I think, did about like September 11th. It's like, we can all agree that that was a horrible, bad day. So no matter how divided this country is, that is one thing that we can all agree on, that that was a horrible, bad day, and we can come together to help people. It's so true, because even if you think it's a conspiracy theory, or if you think (laughs) that it was Osama bin Laden, there's still thousands of people that died. The gospel should be big enough as well, that it can unify us, and no matter what, we can still agree on that one thing. People like the Judaizers, we still have them today in certain ways. It's kind of like anytime we're so distracted by things that just don't matter. Oh, yeah. And it's like basically anytime we're throwing in these things that should divide us, like yeah, well, and being distracted by by what's the real focus, what are we really here for, what's yeah. the gospel, like don't worry about all the petty little things. Yep. And just to clarify, circumcision wasn't a small petty thing. It was definitely something that was super important to the Jewish culture. It was something commanded by God. Um, There's even a part in Exodus when God's basically out to kill Moses because he hadn't circumcised his son and Zipporah circumcises him to fix the problem. The problem now is that they just weren't understanding that this was no longer something that was required of them in order to be a part of this family. And we can sometimes be like that today whenever we try to say that something is required when it isn't. I think when you're reading through and you get to verse 4, it says, Because of false teachers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might be brought into slavery. Um, so slavery right there could probably be something that people are a little bit confused about. But when he says that, like he's talking about basically the slavery of the law. Right. Not uh, actual bondage. <laughs> and I love that Paul's response to that is just to stand firm. And he doesn't waver. Paul never wavers. Period. <laughs> said it it before and I'll say it again. (laughs) And I might say it next episode. Every episode. That's just going to be like your little thing you throw in there. It's an ongoing theme. I'll find somewhere. So the principles of the law that the Judaizers are holding on to are partly just these social divisions that we talked about. Like they can't let go of it. Like think about it though. If you were a Jew and you were used to being the chosen people, you kind of get used to that spot. And so you're like an only child and then all of a sudden your parents like have another kid and you're like, wait a second, what about me? And that's kind of like how it is because we're going to learn later that the Gentiles are basically adopted into this family. So it's, it's like, like they all didn't of even sudden, have to work for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They didn't even have to work for it. They just all of a sudden got to be welcome yeah. into this family and they're going to have this like arrogance and pride about them. Yeah. It would, it would be hard not to if you spent a really long time your whole life following all these laws and doing all these things and... Then it's like, well, boom, it's for everybody. You'd be like, what the heck, man? Yeah. And I could have been bad this whole time. Yeah. (laughs) But, and that's something that they were confused about too, because it wasn't, it wasn't really like that for them. Like, yes, they, they had to keep the law, but it wasn't for their salvation. Like Paul's going to make the point later that they were all saved by faith. It wasn't because of the works that they were doing. Right. But they kind of saw it that way. If we kind of want to modernize this a little bit um, when we're talking about slavery, today this would be being free from our the slavery of our modern world. So the values that this world holds so highly, social norms, prejudice, 
Um, We're free from the slavery of comparison, materialism, vanity, sexual immorality, power struggles. Because our identity is not found in those things, if it's found in Christ, then and our focus is on him, then we don't care about the things that the world cares about so much. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I took away from studying Galatians is that when you like really get into the word and you're just like studying it and you're learning more about the heart of God and what he really truly cares about, then you just really start to care less about yeah. what the world thinks about those things. Yes. Your heart changes. You, you don't think about the same things. Like this is a small thing, but kind of like when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is get on Facebook and Instagram and now maybe you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is you get into the word and you pray and being in the word changes your everyday life how you perceive the world and what you think is important versus like what or what you thought was important versus what you now know and you feel like it's important it's not just like I should start being better because I'm I'm a Christian. Right. You don't have a choice. You literally feel it and you can't stop it. (laughs) And this is a little spoiler, but when we get to chapter five, that's exactly what it is because it's basically telling you to walk in the spirit. And like, it's not about behavior modification. It's not like, okay, well, I'm going to stop doing all these bad things and then I'll be good. Right. It's not about that. It's about keeping in step with the spirit. And because you're in step with the spirit, those things just kind of start to fall away. And it was like that Bible study we did of Lisa Turkers. I can never say her name right. Yeah. It's not supposed to be this way. And she said, you steer where you stare. Yeah. So if you're waking up looking at social media, you're going to steer in that direction. And if you wake up to the word, you're going to steer in that direction. It's just where your focus is, is so important. It really is. So when you're studying scripture, one thing to do is... Always pick up on something that is repeated multiple times. So obviously through this, we're getting, it's being given to us, drilled into our heads that everybody was in agreement. There was one gospel, like we've got that. Another thing that Paul repeats. he's there because they don't get that. I mean, the the leaders do. The leaders get that. Yes, but but the people don't because of the Judaizers, so... And that's why it needs to be drilled into their head. Right, it's the overarching theme because that is why he's there. Yes, Another thing that's repeated a lot in this is those who seemed to be pillars. When you're reading through this, if you know Paul and his writing, you know that he can be sarcastic sometimes. He throws in little quips every now and then, and they're they're funny. They're like funny things. And this is not meant to be disrespectful at all. When I was talking about this in our small group, I kind of started rambling, and I think I probably made this sound a little bit differently than I meant to, so I'm going to try to be careful. When he says that these people seemed to be pillars over and over, he is recognizing that they were held in high esteem. They had this reputation of being leaders in the church and they were given this authority by God. Absolutely. If Paul did not respect them in that way, he would not have gone to the Jerusalem council because he wouldn't have cared if they were all in step with each other. Right. Um, But he's also kind of saying, he makes this little side note where he's like, who they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. So what that means is not that these people aren't important people. It just means that they're not on this pedestal and like that they're too good to fall. It's just kind of not seeing them as like celebrities. He understands that they're humans. He doesn't see them as higher than he ought to. Yeah. Well, and and they're all appointed by God. So God's using you for himself. You're not... The special one he is. The glory is supposed to be given to God, not to man. And so whenever you're seeing them as these celebrities where you want to run up and get their autograph and, you know, there's times in Acts whenever 
people fall down and worship the apostles and they're like, no, 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 don't worship me, worship God. Yeah. But when we put people on a pedestal, we're going to get let down every single time. 100% of the time. Even bigger than that, I think what the Galatians were supposed to take away from this is that there's not a varsity and a junior varsity team in God's eyes. The Jews are not some varsity team. The Gentiles are not a JV team. They're all one. There's no partiality. When he says God shows no partiality, that is what he is pointing to. On the opposite end of that, Paul says the people who seemed influential added nothing to him. And I originally read that wrong too, where I was kind of like, oh, dang, like, they didn't add he anything just to like him. They didn't add any gospel, like any, right. any more truths. Like he had it all, they had it all, we are good to right. go. He's saying like, they, they didn't have to add anything to my message because yeah. we were all in this together and we it all was the easy same to mix that up i didn't really understand before we talked about it in small group and then like after when i did just a little bit more digging into it i definitely didn't get that the first several times i read this <laughs> this is a side note verse eight's in parentheses it says for he who worked through peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentiles what i like about this is that what like it teaches us about our different callings yeah. And how the same God is sending us on different callings. And even though they're different, it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. One of us may be involved in children's ministry. One of us may be involved in ministry to people in prison or the homeless. Some of us may be called to adoption and others not. It's hard too when we go back to society and like the holds they place on people. And you can feel like you're not that you're called to everything, but that you're supposed to do everything and you're not. And it's definitely hard, especially when you do have everyone else's business in your face. It's hard to not feel like, am I doing the right thing? Or should I be doing more? Or should I be serving in a different way? Even if you are doing what you're, you know that you're supposed to be doing, sometimes it's still hard to not be like, but do I need to be doing more? Well, there's so much pressure. Yeah. Some people seem like they're doing everything and you're like, are you ever going to church? Those are Enneagram threes. Achievers. It's not me. (laughs) (laughs) But really, because we're, we have to be good moms, be good wives, care about the environment, like cooking clean, all sorts of things. And audible scoffs. One of the things that um, we read as a small group, like I just kind of handed it out to the girls on our first night starting Galatians. It was basically chapter one from a book called Wild and Free. The first chapter basically talks about like Eve in the garden and how she was just wild and free. She was not worrying if she was a good enough wife. She wasn't worrying if she was enough for God. She just didn't have to worry about those things, and that was the way that it was intended to be. Not the last this... time any adult was ever carefree. <laughs> right. Oh, naked and unashamed. Like, who could even imagine? Sometimes I cover up just walking from, like, the closet to the shower. <laughs> like... <laughs> what is that? In, like, in a room by myself, I'm like, Ugh. So what's interesting about, like, Peter and Paul's different callings, too, is that, first of all, one isn't better than the other, but also it's interesting that Paul's main ministry was to the Gentiles, but every single time he would go into a city, he would go to a syn- the synagogue first and preach to the Jews first. He would spend the majority of his time with the Gentiles, but he would also teach to the Jews. And Peter, although his main ministry was to the Jews, he was the first person that we read about in Acts 10 who ever preached to the Gentiles. He opened the door to the Gentiles. 
So it's like, no matter what your main ministry is, you can still have a part in other people's and help them. Yeah. The distinctions were not absolute, so... Yeah, like you, you're you're only you can only preach the Gentiles and no one else. Yeah, like no, we're supposed to minister where we are. We're yeah. supposed to disciple where we are. Yep. So verse ten says, "Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do." And that just seems like such a random thing to put right there. But what I took from it is, no matter what your ministry is, no matter what you're called to, we are all called to remember the poor. I did look into it because I mean I didn't really understand because it did feel like and by the way don't forget to brush your teeth or (laughs) something like just by the way (laughs) we're gonna study James next and he says that basically true religion is to care for orphans and widows which is essentially they were the poor and lowly of the society because if you're a widow or if you're an orphan you've got no one taking care of you it's just you I just think it's stressing the importance of remembering the poor yeah because even right now I'm reading through Leviticus which is like I've never read it before in my whole life, but I'm reading through it and God makes so many provisions for the poor and all the laws that he gives, like even with sacrifices, like sacrifice a lamb. But if you can't afford a lamb, sacrifice two turtle doves. And it taught us that Jesus's parents were poor because that's what they sacrificed for him and Luke, which I'm getting way off topic, but it's sweet. Audible gasp. I know. Mm. So God himself born on earth was born into a poor family. Like, he cares about the poor. He makes provisions for the poor left and right, you know? It's important. Love. Okay, so going into verses 11 through 14, this is when the drama unfolds. Paul basically tells Peter like it is. So what exactly was he doing that was hypocritical? So this is such a big deal, too, especially now. And I know we've talked about it before, but, like, just not practicing what you preach. And uh, it looks so bad to not even have anything to do with the uncircumcised, with the Gentiles, when certain people are around. It's like, it looks bad. And I also thought it was interesting that he publicly called him out when he was so kind earlier to talk to everyone else in private. But this is such a big deal because there's already so much division. Peter doing this just completely... I mean, not exiling, but acting he, like they don't exist. Them. Yeah. Yeah. He's acting like they don't exist when, like, yesterday you were our friends and we were eating together, and today you won't even look at me. Well, and that's the thing. At the Jerusalem Council, Peter tells the story of how he was sent to the Gentiles specifically by God. Yes. That means that he knew. He's Im- deliberately disobeying. Yeah. Like, he, Peter. he knew. He had convictions. He knew that it was okay for the Gentiles and Jews to eat together. He knew what he was doing wasn't wrong, but he cared what other people thought about him. Yeah. And um, I have that out of fear he acted against what he knew was right, but just fearful of what other people would think of him. Right. And like, which is crazy, but again, put yourself in his shoes. Right. And if they just were different times and there was such a huge division in Gentiles and Jews that it would probably feel weird. Even if it was commanded, like, you're, we're commanded to do things that you're like, well, I don't always love it, but... Well, think about, I kind of putting it into, like, modern day terms. Yeah. It's like, if I am the girl who is a part of my, um, let's say I'm in high school and I'm a part of my youth group at church, but I hang out with these other kids from school who maybe are a little bit more wild. Yes. But whenever my Christian friends come around, I want to hide and act like I don't know them. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what was happening. Yeah. 
And it just sends the absolute wrong message, especially at a time like this. Well, it's important that people who are maybe not walking with God feel loved and welcomed in by you into this group or into into Christ, basically, you know? Yeah. And so Peter being as influential as he was, it's wonderful at first because it's like, oh, we're eating with Peter. This is great. Like but we know how Peter is though. Yeah. So if, if you study any of the gospels, you'll learn from Peter that he is, he can be someone who is extremely bold in one second. And then in the snap of the finger, he is the biggest coward in the room. Like yeah. he's just both sides of it. And we saw that a lot of times. And like we were talking about earlier when we were saying, you steer where you stare. In the Gospels, when you're reading about Peter, and he's about to, like, start sinking when he's walking on water with Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, it'll say, like, and he looked around, or he looked down, or he he took his eyes off of Jesus. Yeah, he had to fix his eyes on what was important. Yes, it would show him physically taking his eyes off of Jesus, and that is exactly when he would fail. Yep. The moment you start thinking, like, what are they going to think of me? Like, what is this going to do to my reputation? Like, how am I going to get past this later? You're not thinking, like, for God's glory, for God's kingdom. Like, what am I called to do? You're thinking, how is this going to affect me? Exactly. And that is a big point, too. It's like, how do you think this made the Gentiles feel? All of a sudden, it's going to make them feel unaccepted, unworthy, well, like they're not, not saved enough. at all. Right. Like, you like you were just telling us we were good and now you're acting like we're not good enough like i thought we didn't have to prove anything right it's inconsistent all the way across we need to remember what's at stake like our hypocrisy leads people away because we learned from this that even barnabas who was the son of encouragement who was on paul's missionary journeys with him and went was, with peter yeah And I also, it's really important to say too, like, there are so many times that I can really relate to Peter because like we were saying earlier, like you're steer where you're staring again, like when you're in the word and you are so in it, I can be deeply convicted about things and I can leave that room and I can feel so empowered by what I just read that there's no way that anything could bring me down. (laughs) I know this to be true. And then you're faced with a circumstance and my actions are completely opposite of what I believe. Yeah. And so it happens. I mean, it's not okay. We want to be bold. Yes. And we want to be bold and stand up for the things we believe in. But it's so easy in real life to say nothing at all or to, I mean, not, I mean, I guess it is the same as just cower down and I'll keep my opinion to myself because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or upset them. But sometimes people need to hear the truth, but it is so much easier to not say anything at all. And that is most often what <laughs> happens for me. I feel like it's easy just to, I don't want to fight the fight. I'll just keep quiet. Well, and that's an example of it. And another example of it is even when I'm reading in Leviticus and realizing that God makes provisions for the poor. And then I don't even make provisions for the poor, like in my own life, you know, those types of things. It's like, oh, wow. Like when you look, when you reflect on your day and you like see opportunities when you could have been nice or helped someone or been loving or whatever and you didn't it's like oh you know you just relate to Peter so much I mean how could we not in certain ways yeah and just at the end of the day Peter knew that the Gentiles um did not have to come under the Mosaic law for salvation and so for him to just take it all basically take it all back 
was, I'm sure it was a smack in the face and confusing. Yeah. I want to read this verse out of Romans 2. It's verses 21 through 24. And it says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it was written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So this is another big thing that's at stake. We are blaspheming the name of God because we're saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And we're acting in these ways that are so inconsistent with Christianity and what we're supposed to be doing if we're in the word. Yeah. We are not practicing what we preach then we're making God look bad. We're not only making ourselves look bad. It's like, well, I wouldn't want to be a part. I wouldn't want to serve that God if that's how he wants people to treat others. You yeah. Know? Well, it's just like Peter. We know better. We yeah. know better. And it's the easy road or the right road. And we. And I think a lot of times it's just the fact that you don't, you're not thinking about how your actions reflect Jesus. Uh, you're thinking again about the moment and yourself and how whatever's affecting you. But... People are always watching and always saying, do you remember when Amita freaked out because this little bitty thing happened? Like, she was so mean. And mm-hmm. it's like, great. Now you think I'm mean. You disqualify and yourself. Yeah. Like, how can I sit here and say that we're supposed to be loving when I just punched you in the face? You right. know? <laughs> well, it's like, no wonder we want to keep proving ourselves be- ourselves because we keep, like, doing things that, like, I need to prove I'm a good Christian because I didn't act like one yesterday. And right. so... Just where you try to work your way to heaven and just trying to make up for the bad things you did the day before. When right. You, when you are on the... Well, you do have a clear head and you are thinking about things the way you should. It's like, okay. Well, and you can't live in shame. Like, every day, I reflect on my day, you know, but I'm not, like, sitting here, like, beating myself up. Like, I you're know... You're good about apologizing, though. Like, you think about something and you're like, I should apologize for that. I'm like, oh, I don't want to ever talk about that ever again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I mean, just like, when you're in close relationship with God and you have a bad day and you pray at night, I did not act like a Christian today. I was not good. I'm so sorry. Like, you don't have to go into your next day feeling like, Unworthy. oh, I hate, like, you know, God hates me. Everybody hates me. I'm an awful person. I told you the other day how much that I felt like new morning mercies because I remember I had like an awful day the night or the awful night the night before and I was feeling kind of crummy about myself and what I'd been doing and whatever. And then it was like the next morning it was like, okay, so I can, I can wake up this morning and I can read the word again and I can, I want to do better. Yeah. I can do better. better. (laughs) Get that out. Do better. (laughs) I guess it's like trusting God more because the thing that I was worried about was what someone was going to think of me. And that's the easiest one. Right. That will, that will be a stumbling block every single time. Yes. What is someone going to think about this? And my word for the year this year is trust. And so I'm like, I'm literally, it's really funny because last year I could see things about my word and maybe it's just because it's in my head. I don't know, but I can literally see things happening where I feel like God's saying like, okay, now trust me in this. Okay, now trust me in this. And I'm like, no, not another one. Yes, now trust me in this too. It's so easy to see hypocrisy in others. 
And I think when you really reflect, you can see it in yourself too. We've talked about this before. We minimize our own sins. Right. And tell her, it's like, well, it wasn't that bad. Like I punched him. I didn't cut him. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> I've never punched or cut anyone to be clear, but it's, <laughs> we do. We're like, well, it could have been worse. Right. Or no one saw me do it. And, like, that doesn't make it any better. No, just because no someone... No one saw me did it yeah. is a big one. <laughs> yeah, just because no one saw you do it doesn't mean it didn't happen. No one sees me come home and gossip to my husband. It's fine if it's to my husband, right? <laughs> so, verse 14. What is Paul basically saying in verse 14? Paul's just reminding Peter that he himself could not and did not live under strict obedience of the law of Moses. Yeah, so he's basically, if you kind of like reword it as what Peter was essentially saying is, I can live like a Gentile. I have that freedom, but you can't live like a Gentile. You don't have that freedom. You need to live like a Jew. Right. That's kind of what you're yeah, saying to them. earn your freedom. Right. So making our way to verses 15 and 16, I'm just going to read those. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So let's repeat our definition of justification. Justification. Sinners are declared righteous through faith and released from the penalty of sin. Justification is salvation. Justification is once and for all. It's a one-time thing. You don't Um, have to re-earn it every single day. Yes. You can mess up. You can repent. It's an act of God by God. Yes. And it is not something that a person can do. It's an act, not a process. So if if you are saved by works, it would have to be something that you're more saved one day than you are the other. Yeah. And building on your works. And no flesh, not Gentile, not Jew, not anyone would ever be considered right before God if it were through works. It's just impossible. Verse 15 and 16 basically say it doesn't matter that we Jews have always followed the law and the Gentiles haven't because we are both justified by faith and we kind of always have been. Not kind of. We always have been. Right. And that's something that in chapter three we really are going to get into. So I don't want to like go too deep into it today. But um, one's not better than the other. Yeah. I really like the four by works of the law. No flesh shall be justified. It's just no one, Jew or Gentile. Yeah, none. (laughs) None. Today, this may be the difference in I was raised in the church and you were wild as a buck. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter that you were raised in church and you've been a good girl your entire life. Yep. And I'm just coming to know Christ because I've been out being wild for all these years and haven't known God. It doesn't matter. We are, once we're both saved, we're both saved. We're slates wiped clean. The end. Yeah. Not the end. And nope. <laughs> well, we need we need people on different paths because that girl that was wild as who knows what in high school, who's a Christian now, she maybe still talks to her friends. Like, there's no telling who she's going to witness to and who's going to see her life changed and just how different she is from the person who passed to the person she is now. And that's important because people need to see that and they need to see things come full circle. Like... This is who I was before I knew Christ, and this is who I am now, and I literally can't help it. This is who I am because of the Holy Spirit. Well, that person with their past knows how to reach people like them, which is good. So there's this girl, um, I've been like following her 
um in person or on the internet <laughs> need to know, you know that stalking? creepy emoji where it's like the shadow yeah. and the other shadow the one that's you sent me. me today yes <laughs> so no looking at her um I guess it's like a non-profit that she started maybe I don't know exactly what the definition is but it's called a cry for the broken and she was a prostitute and then she found Christ and she's been walking with Christ and now she's started this nonprofit. I thought about going to a little volunteer training session. Is it here? It is. She was in prostitution because of factors in her life. It just kind of led her down that path. She knows how to spot women who are in the same walk of life that she was in. And so they'll just go up to them with a smile and a hug make them feel loved. They'll pray with them. They'll give them a bag of goodies and like hygiene things, tissues, whatever. Because of where she came from, she knows how to spot these people and she knows how to reach them. And she can say, I've been there. I know how it feels. I think that's it's amazing that the grace of God saves people who are from every walk of life because you need every walk of life in this ministry in yeah. order to reach more people. I mean, we grew up differently with different experiences, and I don't think I was wild, but I probably could have been better. But I mean, I have a story to tell because of it. Right. I think it's actually, and this is not to condone wild stages, right. but <laughs> it's actually harder to reach people if you are, I guess it's it depends on your stance, like where your yeah. heart is, if it's from a place of pride. Some people growing up would almost brag about their righteousness. Like, oh, I've never done these things. I'm going to list out all these things that are bad that I've never participated in. Whenever someone's like that, it's so much harder to reach people because people are going to see you the way that you're trying to talk about yourself. Like, oh, you're better than me. Okay. You're not going to understand me. You don't understand where I'm coming from. Right. And that's how the how a lot of the Jews probably felt or what of the Gentiles felt about the Jews. Yeah. It's like, oh, they think they're better than me because they've been good their whole lives. But not good enough because they couldn't keep the law. FYI. Because <laughs> no one would be good enough, to be clear. Right. Well, it, that's one of the things that Peter says in um, at the Jerusalem Council. Like, why are you putting this yoke on them when it was a yoke that even you couldn't bear? Yeah. You Peter couldn't keep that? the law. I think so. Yeah. Oh, no, it was James. James. I think it was James. One or the other. I can't remember. Moving into 17 and 18. While we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? And I remember just feeling very confused by that when I first read mm-hmm. it. Me too. But, I mean, obviously he's not a minister of sin. Because that's just, again, Paul being like, guys. Is he, he asks he's questions not. to make you think. Yeah. Yeah. And they do make you think. Because you're always like, okay, th- I know this means something. Because... <laughs> So he's being a little, he's being a little sarcastic, so I know it means something, but what? There's several different ways that I've seen this interpreted, and I think this is one of the tough ones. Yeah. The one that made the most sense to me was that in the law, Jews and Gentiles were not permitted to eat together, but now they're being commanded to eat together. So is it like, oh, is, is Jesus then promoting sin because we were told not to do this and now we are? No, by no means, because it goes on to say next that for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Jesus tore down the wall between Jew and Gentile. So 
then he's not promoting you to do something that he doesn't think is a good thing to do. Why would he do that? He's not promoting sin. And that's just one way to interpret it. I think the other way that I read about was, um, cause this one, I read it like a hundred times and was still confused. Okay. This is what I, I, I confused myself. Um, if people still sin, how are they right with God? And, um, because people continuously sin. So apparently, um, Jesus didn't make you right enough with God. So he's not going to build back up the wall between you and God mm-hmm. just because you sin. Right. 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 Even if you are a transgressor. Which we are. So. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know the exact answer to that one, but what I take from it, uh, from from just verse seventeen and eighteen in general, is that our spiritual identity is greater than our social identity. Okay, nineteen through twenty-one. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It is appropriate to drop the mic at this time. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) This will be our last podcast because we broke the microphone. (laughs) Just kidding, we have a backup. (laughs) So... I want to repeat the part. We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We're united with Christ in his death. Our old selves are crucified. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We're saved in his death by our faith. If we rely on our works, then Christ literally died for nothing. I'm going to actually read um, from Romans chapter 6. This is like One of my favorite passages, I feel like I've read it a hundred times in Bible study because it relates to literally everything. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. When we're baptized, it's like you're buried with him in his death. And then you're raised up to walk in newness of life. And that is when you, your baptism is a reflection of his crucifixion. And like, what a uniting thing. Like we're, we're imitating what he did in that way so that we can continue to imitate him and be more formed into his image every day through the sanctification process. Yeah. 
I hope Amanda and I's conversation today was encouraging to you. Even just listening back to it, hearing that sometimes we don't have the perfect interpretation should be an encouragement because you're not always going to leave your time in the word knowing all of the answers to all of the questions that you have. And it's okay to kind of sit on that for a while and be patient with yourself as you try to figure that out. In two weeks, we'll be posting a new episode covering chapter three. Make sure you read all of chapter three before you listen. Music by Scott Holmes.